and I'm Kate. On this week's episode, I spoke to Rebecca Shotguffy, who's the CEO of Fintech Australia. Uh, we had a really great chat on a couple of different topics. I think the, the first thing um, to mention, we spoke a fair bit about the fintech ecosystem in Australia. Beck makes the, the really important point that while we're a small market, um, obviously a small population and still a market very dominated by the major banks, um, we actually have a lot of fintech cred, um, I could say. So we've got the likes of Afterpay, obviously, a, a really key fintech player. Um, Zip, the other buy now player providers, also all going into other markets. So we're actually quite a good exporter of, um, of fintech, which I hadn't really thought about in that context before. Um, and our fintech ecosystem really is maturing quite a lot. I spent a couple, uh, spent some time a couple of weeks ago at the Fintech Australia conference where that was very much the key theme, collaboration between different providers in the industry, but also just that maturation of the industry. And even the fact that we're quite far along with CDR, we've taken a bit of a different approach compared to the UK. Um, I think that all points to the fact that there's a lot where we can learn globally from what's happening in the Australian fintech market at the moment. I think it's a really interesting space because there's a lot of rapid change as well and we're seeing more and more um, new propositions being available in the market and I think open banking is a space where there's so much scope to actually make consumers' lives a lot easier with their banking and make it easier for them to understand their own money and how they spend and who they have products with and cancel products if they want to or open new ones and I think it's a really exciting opportunity and I think that fintech is going to play such a key role and Fintech Australia is quite key to that given mm. they have all these relationships and they're really across what's happening. So it's going to be a good episode to learn more about what's happening in Australia, but also what the scope is globally for these fintechs to, to make impact and grow and you know really help consumers as well. Yeah, and I think the fact that CDR in Australia is actually quite far reaching compared to what's maybe a bit more of a narrow approach in the UK. So as you said, um, open banking can really solve customer pain points and I think Australia is going to be a really good um, example of how that could work and what propositions will work well in other markets. I know other markets starting to look to Australia on the open banking front already. And then the other topic that, that Beck and I discussed was uh, the importance and the role of having female leadership. Um, financial services, obviously quite a male dominated industry as is technology. Um, FinTech by nature of that is, is very male dominated. There's lots of male founders, not a lot of female founders. But just the importance of having not just female voices, but having diverse voices at leadership levels in product uh, in product meetings, making sure that there's a diversity of opinion and thought that's going into how these products are created. And I think some of what we've spoken about in the podcast before, solving quite specific issues for different groups of people, you really do need that diversity of opinion to make sure that you're not just creating a product that really only suits um, one type of customer or, or maybe doesn't go far enough in solving those big problems that we've been talking about, like financial inclusion. Yeah, I think when thinking about what the problems are, you really need to have people in the room when making these decisions who experience different things. So whether it's someone who doesn't speak English as a first language or who um, you know, has their, their role at the moment is home duties or caring for the kids, thinking about who are these voices and how can they be included in decision-making. Mm. Otherwise, the product that you're making isn't suitable for the whole market. It's only yep. suitable for a key segment of the market. And I think that's something that both of us are really interested in learning more about. And FinTech has a lot of scope to actually address financial inclusion and digital inclusion as well, which is broad inclusion um, generally. And I think that's where FinTech has quite an important role to play as well. Absolutely. Even the fact that the way men and women approach their banking and their finances and, and debt is quite different or investing is quite different. So women are more debt averse. 
um, women aren't as likely to go into investments and, and, and do things like invest in shares. Um, so all of that actually becomes really important when you're starting to think about not just how do we make sure people have access to banking products, but how do they have access, how do we make sure they have access to the products that are right for them, that suit their needs, that it progress, not just financial inclusion, but I guess financial well-being. Absolutely. And even you know, making customers' lives a little bit easier and then more holistically, how can you make banking more inclusive in general products and services as well, whether it's investing or everyday banking or lending other forms of other products as well. Let's get into the interview. Hi Beth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background prior to joining Fintech Australia? For those that um, don't know me, my name is Rebecca Shopkapi and I'm the CEO of Fintech Australia. Um, prior to joining Fintech Australia, I worked as both a corporate lawyer at Holland Wilcox and then the head of community at Stone and & Chalk. And in my spare time, I like keeping active, following sport and cooking good food and drinking red wine. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about Fintech Australia and what you what you do there? So Fintech Australia is the peak industry body and we represent over 300 Australian fintechs. We were founded over five years ago and we're most known for our policy and advocacy work and being the voice of the fintech ecosystem. Um, the other things that we do are we help our members grow, whether that's connecting them with our corporate partners, each other, or helping them scale overseas. And then we run two flag flagship events being Intersect and the Finney. Yeah, and Intersect was, was recently, it was a great conference. Yeah, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. I think that there was just a, a buzz in the air with everyone coming together and connecting. We're so lucky to have been able to have it. As you know, Kate, it was in Melbourne only two weeks ago and the city was in lockdown a week later. So we're very lucky to have it. And I think Intersect represented a whole new maturity of the sector. Yeah, completely agree. That was my sort of takeaway from the conference as well, just how much the sector has grown and also just so nice to be in person um, with everyone. Yeah, I think everyone's talking about the networking and how much they miss in-person networking versus via Zoom. Absolutely. Uh, what was it that made you decide to start working in FinTech coming from sort of that, um, that law background? What is it that you like about your current role? Um, so what I love about it is that every day is different. Um, I think I love the fact that it's high energy and fast moving. Um, I had a bit of a weird transition. I thought I wanted to work in VC and maybe I still do, but um, I didn't do investment banking. So I'd miss out um, on roles just because of that. And so I had the opportunity to take the head of community role at Stone & Chalk, which really opened my eyes to FinTech, InsureTech and RegTech, which led me down a pathway of really um, using both the legal skills that I learned um, at Holland Wilcox in terms of you know drafting legislation policy so I think FinTech Australia is a perfect role because I get to both um, do the community work that I loved at Stone Chalk but do some policy and advocacy which brings into part my legal skills. And as you said FinTech Australia very involved in that policy work and advocacy for the sector why do you think it's important that we have a really strong fintech sector in Australia? I think it's really important that we have a strong fintech sector in Australia because it is the future of the economy. 
Um, I think more importantly, I think every nation is looking at that tech-led post-pandemic, but more importantly, we have the opportunity, given that we have such a financial services um, strength, to really lead in such a space. And we're seeing that in payments um, and open banking at the moment. Yeah, and as you alluded to there, the fintech industry, the digital, going to be really important post-pandemic. Uh, what are the key impacts that 2020 did have on the fintech sector in Australia? Have they largely been positive or negative? What are the key challenges facing the industry? Well, I think, you know, it was really a tale of two different stories. And, you know, we saw the biggest fintechs get bigger and we saw some Australian fintechs through the pandemic have the opportunity to scale and we obviously in, saw indebted land in the UK and the US and we saw Afterpay, Zip, Athena, Wiser up or go from strength to strength, really that digital banking. We also saw payments change and, you know, a basic, really basic example of that is tap and go went from 100 to 200. Um, but then we had some other fintechs that really struggled for traction or more importantly, capital, given that, you know, it was a big capital squeeze, particularly from risk-adverse investors, particularly in the, the first two quarters of the pandemic. So, you know, some companies really flourished and others, you know, unfortunately struggled. But I think overall um, it's been a positive, there's been a positive growth from fintech from the pandemic. Yeah, I think the, the other question I'd be really keen to get your thoughts on is just the differences between the Australian fintech industry and, and the industry in other markets. Obviously, a much smaller market in Australia compared to the UK or the US. But what do you see as the biggest differences or maybe the biggest challenges facing fintechs in Australia compared to other markets? Well, first of all, I would like to just point out that I think that we bat above <laughs> our average in terms of fintechs. Like we have Afterpay, Airwallex, Judo, that are all unicorns. And we're continuing to see Australian companies scale into different markets, so assembly with standard charter. So I do think we punch above our weight um, in terms of fintechs compared to other markets. But, you know, the challenge is that capital piece. You know, we talk about that quite often, that, you know, the capital flows, particularly in that Series C and Series D, um, are much harder. So we see Australian fintechs have to go offshore to get capital. Now, while that can be a tactical piece because if you get capital offshore, it will help you expand into those markets. Um, it's still probably the hardest thing for Australian fintechs and also our population size. So you have to tap out at some point. So, you know, you have to look at other markets if you really want to um, scale to a, to a certain extent. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the, the fact that we do um, bat above our weight, the the afterpay, the, um, the afterpay story is probably a key one in terms of what other markets might be looking at um, coming out of Australia. What do you think other markets can learn from the Australian fintech industry and, and our experience um, in the fintech environment? Well, certainly um, by now, pay leader, you touched on, we are world-class in that. I think we've been very loud in advocating for the fact that they're self-regulating, similar to the business lending with their code um, and that self-regulation to allow for innovation. I think, you know, other industries and ecosystems can learn from our more broad um, consumer data, right? Well, it hasn't been fully rolled out yet. And obviously there's a long way to go even in open banking, but the fact that it's going to be econ economy-wide consumer data, right, rather than just banking, I think that's something that other um, ecosystems can learn from us. And, Obviously, we're really strong in payments. 
So <laughs> our e-commerce payments, our, I don't know, Square's a global company, but looking how Square transitioned to e-commerce during the pandemic, our QR codes, um, our payment gateways are all first class. Yeah, and I think um, to that point, Australians are also just really good at adopting new payment technology. Um, Afterpay, an obvious example, but also just contactless. We've had really high rates of contactless adoption in Australia for a number of years. Mobile payments have taken off here and e-commerce, as you said, as well. Well, a really great example of that, even on a really basic level, is one of my friends who's a doctor today said, even my Garmin can do, <laughs> you know, touch payments. And I was like, would never have thought you even thought about that. But, um, yeah. Yeah, even my six-year-old, even my six-year-old mum is using mobile payments. Yeah, so it's my, but uh, (laughs) my favourite is when my mum told me about Osco that allows you to send money in real time, and I was like, well, mum, that's the new fast payments rail, fast payment rail, and she was shocked that she finally understood what I did. Some part of what (laughs) I did was she could send money in real time. There you go. Uh, the other topic I want to talk to you a little bit about is um, about the role of women in, I guess, financial services and in technology, both uh, industries and, and fintech, I guess, too, both industries where women have generally been underrepresented historically. Um, how important do you think it is to have that representation and, and how does that play into us having a strong, I guess, not just fintech economy, but a, a really strong financial services industry in Australia? Yeah. Well, to be honest, Kate, in the fintech industry, we have a long way to go. I think the stats are 8, 19% female founders versus um, 80% male, and I think that's gone up post-pandemic. And I wrote a bit of commentary two years ago in the EY Fintech Australia census about this, and I think it all stems from FS, right? And until we change, you know, one, the fact that um, there's a gender pay gap, and in FS, that means the men have more financial security. Women are risk adverse. Um, the secure, job security at being at a financial services compared to a fintech. And then obviously we can't change the nature of, you know, maternity leave and all those kinds of things. So, you know, once we switch the dialogue on these things, we may be able to get more women into fintechs. But I think, you know, fundamentally we need to also change the gender pay gap at FS and have more women in um, leadership roles to enable them to then take the risk and start a fintech. But it's so important to have women not only as founders, but as part of an early stage team. You know, it's just studies show that fintechs and tech companies that have women at senior leadership um, do not only better in relation to scaling, but better in relation to capital raising and their journey. And I think that Everyone knows that a diverse team creates better outcomes. And so I think it's really important to have women at all levels of your business. Couldn't agree more. Um, I was going to ask you what the key barriers female founders face, but I think you've, you've touched on that. Is there anything that you can point to that you think really needs to change or, or something that would be relatively easy for us to change to make sure that we do have that representation? Um, one of the things that is probably not one of the barriers that I touched on, but, you know, the data shows that female founders don't, get um, capital as easily as men, male founders do. So, you know, some of the things that, you know, the government at not only state levels but federal levels are looking at are like women-only funds. So can we make sure that, that women-founded businesses get access to funding when, in an environment that um, has not so been supportive of them before? So um, some of those things can really help. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and then as a leader in a um, relatively male dominated industry within fintech, what are the most important that you've learned, uh, most important lessons you've learned throughout your career? Um, and what advice would you give to other women who are looking to get into, um, I guess, fintech or sort of more dominate male dominated industries in general? One is probably know your stuff. Um, you know, you've got to be really confident that you know how to deliver a message or argue your point. So know your stuff, but also for me, it was taking a risk. Like I took a risk to take this job and um, it's paid off in spades. And just because it's a male dominated industry doesn't mean you have less respect. You've just got to be able to hold your own in certain um, conversations. So make sure that you have confidence as well. Definitely. Um, and what are the key lessons that you've learned throughout your um, throughout your career that you would sort of talk to around improving the, the gender gap? Key lessons are probably, you know, when you're hiring, make sure you do some non-biased hiring. And like um, also when you're looking at your team, make sure you look up, look at the makeup of it, where not only from a women's perspective, but culturally perspective because I think culturally diverse teams also get better outcomes um lessons I've learned um back yourself you know it's very common knowledge that men will go for a job if they tick seven out of ten boxes but women only go for the job if they tick ten out of ten boxes and we kind of need to switch that thinking um the other thing I've learned is be confident in relation to pay. So women go in and ask for a pay rise because they've done A, B and C. And then the boss will say, well, they haven't done E, F and G. Um, but, you know, men go in and ask for a pay rise and say that they're going to leave without it. So, you know, not not switching to be thinking like a man, but switching to think a little bit differently for when we ask for something or we have an issue that we need to raise sometimes just be a little bit stronger and more confident the other point that you made that i thought was a really good one is around having culturally diverse teams gender diverse teams really creating better products and services um, could you expand a little bit on that in terms of how you think having great female leaders female founders within fintech how does that influence the end customer who's using their product I think when we think about things, everyone thinks differently. So not only females, but cult, different cultures. So when you're in a strategy meeting, because everyone has different thinking, you may market differently based on how someone else perceives something versus you. You may communicate with a different voice based on um, someone in your team if you have a diverse team. And I think that there's just so many different angles of feedback that you know you have if you have a diverse team whereas if everyone thinks the same way has had the same upbringing or you know had the same university experience you just don't get that diversity in thinking or even that diversity in feedback and you know we we watch that when you you're with a lot of your friends and you've been to school or you've been to uni together a lot of you often have very similar views about things and well, that's great in your friendship circle. It's not necessarily great for product development or, you know, marketing um, because you actually do need that broad brush thinking. 
Yeah, I think a lot of, of what I've learned working in market research is while you might think everybody has the same opinion as me or everyone has the same needs as me, people are very diverse. And, and yeah, to your point, the more people you have making decisions who are aware of that and thinking along those lines makes a big impact on the end product and the experience for a customer as well. Yeah, I um, think you'd say it all the time, right? <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Um, just to, to wrap up, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what FinTech Australia is going to be up to over the next 12 to 18 months? Is there anything you can share about what you're working on at the moment? Yeah, so we're working on a new digital content strategy. So some of that we kicked off last year in relation to doing some segments, segments with Startup Daily on AusBiz and we'll be relaunching a new podcast. Um, we recently had um, AusTrade sign a huge MOU with us and a part of that is we will be have one of their global engagement managers embedded in fintech Australia so we will be part of the service to help Australian fintech company grow fintech scale overseas um, we've obviously had to push back the finnies which is very disappointing um, but we, and then obviously we've got the third issues paper to the senate um, committee on fintech and regtech and we'll continue to push a lot of CDR because there's a lot of things at the moment going on in that space. Lots going on in general, sounds like. Yeah, never a dull day at FinTech Australia, <laughs> as Lisa would tell you. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great having a chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Global Digital Banker Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify and Podbean.